Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast, where we focus on the stories of large-scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast. I'm Howard Tierski, and today we are going to talk about a topic that's essential for success to anybody driving digital transformation, and it is hitching digital transformation. In order to get started, or certainly in order to take your digital transformation to scale, you're going to need the support of senior executives within your organization. You might even need the support of your board of directors for the kind of funding you need, for the kind of staffing and headcount that you need, and for the cross-organizational buy-in that you're going to need to start making the changes, which will be the inevitable outcome of the transformation program. After all, transformation is just a fancy word for change. And if you're working in particular within a large organization, I can tell you, you're going to have problems. This is not going to be a cakewalk. And I'm going to tell you during our time today, some of the things you can do to pave the road and make that substantially easier. But first of all, why is it so difficult? What is the problem with getting everyone to quickly buy into digital transformation? I mean, you could argue that in today's world, it seems like such an obvious need. The world is becoming more digital. Companies have to be able to catch up to their customers' expectations in order to be relevant. We see examples all around of companies that are going out of business who failed to live up to digital customers' expectations. And by the way, we see all kinds of studies from companies like Forrester, Gartner, KPMG, Capgemini, and others that correlate companies that are more digitally mature, more digitally excellent, have a great digital experience with all these successful business metrics like revenue, revenue growth, profitability, and stock market performance. So you would think that would be enough to get most organizations on board with digital transformation programs. But the reality is that anytime you're asking for substantial investments, you're going to face probably a fair amount of headwinds, skepticism, criticism, and the need to have a really great pitch. And one of the analogies that I like to use about that is if you think about trying to drive change within a large organization, one of the reasons that it's so difficult is just the scale of the organization. An analogy that I've used often and others have as well is liking it to turning an aircraft carrier. You know, they say that it can take up to 20 miles of open sea to be able to nicely turn an aircraft carrier to turn around and go in the opposite direction. And that can be very much true for large organizations as well. It's not easy to get them to turn on a dime. And very often, there's a lot of reasons for that. One of the uh, interesting schoolings I got in this was when I worked for Cisco. I did some work for Cisco a number of years ago, and I got to work with the group within Cisco that does government contracts. They respond to large RFPs from parts of the government, including the military, for multi-multi-million dollar technology contracts. And obviously, in Cisco's case, it's a lot about networking gear. And here's one thing that I found very interesting. When Cisco responds to a, a request to provide networking gear, for example, for battleships or aircraft carriers for the U.S. military, one of the things they have to agree to is that whatever units they're selling now, whether they're routers or switches or whatever they may be, they have to agree that they're going to provide those same exact units, unchanged, unupgraded, and unimproved for a long period, oftentimes as long as 10 years. And that alone is a big commitment for a company like Cisco that's constantly improving and upgrading and changing their technology. But in order for the government to be willing to buy it, you've got to promise that they can keep buying that same unimproved product 
for a long period of time. That's how the military thinks. They want to avoid unnecessary change. And you might think that's kind of strange because after all, the U.S. military is one of the most technically sophisticated organizations on the planet. They invented the laser, pioneered investments in things like the computer, the internet, virtual reality. So how is it that such a forward-thinking organization is paying extra amounts? They're willing to pay more five, 10 years from now for a switch or a router that is many years obsolete than they could buy a brand new version of the latest model. Well, the reason is simply because driving change within large nuclear-powered aircraft carriers <laughs> is often perceived as not worth the potential benefits of whatever the new technology is. In other words, stability is perceived as being more valuable than innovation. Sometimes the mindset seems like it's not just if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's if it is broke, just fix it back the way it was. You know, don't fix it any better. But if you're going to successfully pitch digital transformation, you need to develop a sense of empathy and understanding for those who are resistant to change. You know, very, very often, those of us that are driving transformation, we're people who love change. We're people who are excited about the new, excited about improving. And while improving is a great thing, there's many people like those military procurement officers who want their routers and switches to remain the same for 10 years who see change as a threat. And which means that if you are pitching change, as obvious as it may seem to you, you have to have a very powerful case and you have to connect with people on both a logical level, of course, your change has to make sense, and an emotional level, because very often you're dealing with a fear of change that may be appropriate or maybe inappropriate, depending on the circumstances. Suffice to say that most of our businesses are not as life or death as a military battleship being run by a nuclear reactor. Let's talk about how to solve this problem, how to pitch digital transformation. There's many facets to it, but today I want to focus in on the most fundamental core tool, which is the power of stories, using stories as a way to persuade and influence decision-making. Because stories have the ability to connect both on an intellectual and an emotional level. As I said a moment ago, this is what you need to be able to do to get people not only to kind of intellectually understand what you're saying, but to be willing to sign on. And if you look at some of the most inspiring and influential communications that we know of through history, very often they are stories. Whether it's the Gettysburg Address talking about the Battle of Gettysburg or Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, which articulated a variety of small vignette stories painting a picture both of struggle and oppression and also a picture of a future where his children and other uh, white American children will be able to play together and everybody will be able to pursue their American dream. Most really successful TED Talks are also either a story or they use stories, series of stories in combination in different ways. These are the presentations that get millions of views on the internet. These are the ones that people share with other people that they watch and have the greatest influence on people. So how can you leverage that within your pitching of digital transformation? Well, I'm going to give you some very tactical things to do. But before I do, I want you to understand the why. So let's talk about for a second. Why is it that stories are so effective? I mean, what does a story have to do with business strategy anyway? 
Download the first chapter of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance, today. Visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to get started. Well, I believe, and what I've read about this, is that it kind of dates back to evolutionary psychology. Evolutionary psychology is just an approach to thinking about human behavior that believes that most human behavior stems from what supported our survival back in ancient times. Our human brain, our human ingrained psychology wasn't really evolved for the modern world that we live in. That's a very, very recent development in terms of evolutionary time, but really evolved for the kind of nomadic tribes that were hunting and gathering for millennia before sort of modern civilization developed. And so in that time, it became very valuable to listen to what other people said and to pay attention to certain kinds of information. In other words, our brains evolved to figure out when someone is telling you something or when someone is talking, how do you tell whether what someone is saying has survival benefit or not? And what we find interesting today, what engages us and what we take in to drive our behavior tend to be those things that we believe have survival value or align with the structure of communications that make it appear that it will have survival value. So for example, in ancient times, in prehistoric times, when a hunter came back from a hunt and said, you won't believe what happened to me on the hunt. I was almost killed, but I figured out a way to survive. Well, that sounds like a good story, but what happened? What was the threat? Why were you almost killed? What did you do to survive? Can you see how something that feels like a story has a likelihood of having survival value? Because it identifies a problem that occurred and a way that problem was addressed and it has an outcome, either successful or unsuccessful. And so there's something to be learned. And so you're going to see as we talk about the components of a story that you need to weave into your pitch, this is what makes something engaging and interesting. In contrast to someone said, hey, I just got back from a hunt and I want to tell you everything that happened. First, I packed my spear. Then I walked three miles to the west. Then I picked some berries. Then I looked around for something to eat and I didn't find anything. So then I climbed a mountain. I mean, it's just a list of things that happened, right? That's not really a story. It's just a list of activities. And that's not so interesting. You don't naturally have a sense of wanting to hear that or you're not likely to be influenced in your behavior by it because there's, you don't have the signals that suggest to you that there's some survival benefit. And that basic idea of wanting to know how to survive being attacked by a buffalo when you're out hunting or how you survived when you got lost searching for berries and you spent three days in the wilderness, but you found something to drink, you know, that would be an equally valuable survival story. That yearning that we have, that evolutionarily planted desire to hear about problems and their solutions is what yields billions and billions of dollars for the entertainment industry today. Because if you look at any story you watch, whether it's the latest Marvel movie or it's a, a sad love story or anything in between, you're going to see the same basic components if it's a successful piece of entertainment, certainly any kind of story-based entertainment. There are, of course, other types of entertainment that aren't based on a story, like listening to a symphony or something. But if we're talking about movies, television, that type of industry, we spend billions of dollars as consumers a year to just sit down and listen to stories 
examples of people in situations who face problems and how they resolve them so that we can learn and survive. Even though any of those stories may not pertain to our survival, we pay attention to them because of their structure. So what is the structure of a story? And this is really the heart of how you can make a compelling presentation. The heart of a structure of a story has four components. And this is what's going to make what you talk about a story and not just a list. A list of things is not a story. A resource plan, these are all the resources we need. These are the steps we're going to take. That is not a story. Even a brilliant vision for the app that you wanna create and all of the features it's going to have, that is not a story. That is simply a list. In fact, one of the things that I often talk about when I give talks about this is I ask people to think about the number one best-selling book of all time, which many people are aware is the Bible, the Hebrew, you know, Christian, Jewish Christian Bible. And when I ask people, what do they remember from the Bible, the stories or the lists? Because there are many of both in the Bible. Many people in an audience can remember the story of Adam and Eve, the story of Noah's Ark, the story of Moses and, the, and this parting of the Red Sea, right? These are things that are ingrained into people's minds. And people will also point out, because I talk a lot about how lists are about how many people communicate in business, you know, bullet points and such, that of course the Bible contains what's probably the most famous list of all time, the Ten Commandments. And yet, when I ask an audience, despite it being the most famous list of, of all time, who can name the Ten Commandments? It's very, very rare that I'm able to find someone who can name all 10 commandments. Usually people get three, four, maybe five, and then they start to stumble. And think about it for yourself. What would you find easier to do? To recount the story of Adam and Eve or to list all 10 of the 10 commandments? Think if you're like most people, it would be the story. And so this is just another illustration of why we want to communicate in stories, not in lists. So what are the components of a story? Stories have four key parts. They have a hero somebody who is the main character in the story. In the story of Adam and Eve, or the story of Adam and Eve's fall from the Garden of Eden, I would say the hero is, is Eve, right? And then they have a goal, something that that hero wants to do, and I'm gonna talk about each of these in a moment, something the hero is trying to accomplish. Then they have some kind of a problem or an enemy. Something is keeping them from that goal. And then they have a strategy for how to try to overcome that problem or enemy to accomplish their goal. And then, of course, there's some kind of resolution. What happens? It either works or it doesn't work. And that makes the structure, based on what I said before, hopefully you can see an opportunity to hopefully learn something. So let's, let's dive in and look at each of these just a little bit more. The hero, as I said, that's the main character who ultimately is going to be the one who either succeeds or fails. And, you know, for example, one of the stories I tell in my book is a story of Hideo Shima, who led the establishment of bullet trains across Japan in a time when there was great resistance to the ideas that he was trying to introduce around high-speed rail in Japan. He was a hero who had a vision for the kind of more modern, rapid transportation he wanted his country to have, both to improve the economy and also as a sign of the capabilities and the excellence that the Japanese people could accomplish. And he faced all kinds of resistance, both from people who didn't necessarily share his vision and also challenges in accomplishing his vision. He had giant mountains that it were difficult to run rail through and things like that in Japan. So he had a whole bunch of challenges that he had and to accomplish his vision of high-speed rail. And his story is the story of how he accomplished overcoming all of those problems 
and ultimately led to the success of today's Japanese high-speed rail, which of course exceeds any kind of rail system that we have here in the United States today. And so again, I, I've only given you the brief outlines of the story, but if I said to you, here's a book about how Hideyoshimo did it, I imagine you might be thinking to yourself, oh, I could learn a thing or two about how he accomplished that. Even if you're not trying to build bullet trains, you could probably learn a thing or two from his story. And by the way, some stories end badly. Another story that I tell in my book, Winning Digital Customers, is about the Quinlong Emperor in China in, I think it was the 15th century, who European traders came and tried to convince him to equip his army with guns, this new invention from Europe, to uh, make them a more powerful army. And the Quinlong Emperor was an expert archer and was very proud of the marksmen and the archers of his army and didn't believe guns, saw guns as a a tool for children, not for serious armies. He dismissed them. And within 100 years, all of China, or nearly all of it, had been subdued by Europeans uh, using guns to uh, overcome Chinese armies who were using longbows, spears, and other you know, non-munitions. And so this is a story of somebody who had a goal to try to sustain his country's heritage and its kind of excellence using historical, traditional weapons. Point is, both types of stories have learning opportunities. I imagine you think to yourself that you might want to know a little more about that story, but if nothing else, it serves as a warning. It serves as an example of what you might want to not do. So every story has got a hero. It's got a goal. Another example of a great story would be uh, Amelia Earhart wanting to be the first woman to pilot a transcontinental flight. And of course, she encountered many great challenges and ultimately was lost. The story of, of Rocky Balboa or any great fighter or any great sports story trying to win a championship, trying to win a World Series, trying to win a Little League World Series, whatever it may be. When you're doing your pitch for digital transformation, who is the hero of your pitch? Well, your hero is the one that you want the audience to identify with, because that's how stories work. When you hear a story about Rocky Balboa or Luke Skywalker or whoever the hero of that story is, you put yourself in their shoes. So when you give a pitch for digital transformation, very often the hero of the story needs to be whoever you're looking to persuade. In other words, if I'm going to a board of directors trying to persuade them to undergo a decision to take a risk and invest in and to support a massive transformation, I want to position them as the ones who have the opportunity to be a hero in the story. Can't get enough of winning digital customers? You can find even more content and video versions of the podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Visit wdc.ht slash YouTube to subscribe. And when you tell the story, and what I want to do now is to connect. So how specifically do you take the principles I'm talking about? You can perhaps see how they apply to a movie or a TV show, but how does it apply to a business presentation? Well, here's an outline for a business presentation that might be suitable for you to tell the story of digital transformation. The first thing you want to do in any movie and in your business presentation is to establish the world of the story. In Star Wars, that's seeing the, the planet that Luke Skywalker grows up in and just having a little bit of texture about what his life is like before he goes off to join the force. In your business presentation, it's probably talking a little bit about the business context you're in, the situation you're in today, your competitive situation, what's happening with your customers. And you're starting to tee up what the problem might be, or at least what the circumstances are. So you might be talking about, for example, how your company has been very successful for the last couple of decades. 
but then you're moving into introducing the problem and the villain. And our goal is to be the most successful airline in the world. But over the last number of years, our profits have been reduced by online travel agencies and by new upstart airlines that are offering more competitive rates because they have newer planes and operate in a more fuel efficient way. And they use more clever digital marketing tactics. And as a result of this, we're losing ground in our ability to achieve our goal of being the predominant global airline. So do you see how I've established the world? I've introduced a goal and I've introduced a problem and a villain. We're not getting to our goal because we have these competitors. Or it could be that you're an online retailer and your customers are moving more to digital retailers and you don't have a strong online retail presence. And so the villain is customers want a, an outstanding digital experience. They're expecting it. They see it from companies like Amazon. And yet today, because you have an outdated technology stack, because you have an obsolete user experience, or because you have a bad payment provider or whatever it may be, you're not achieving your goal of growing the business. You're not achieving your goal of delivering customer expectations, customer satisfaction. You're not achieving customer love. So that's the equivalent of in the movie Star Wars, where all of a sudden we learn that although everything seems nice in the universe now, Darth Vader has been building a Death Star and he's getting ready to power it up. And once he completes it and powers it up, he's going to be able to destroy any planet in the solar system and he's going to hold the entire galaxy, I guess it is, and he's going to hold the whole galaxy for ransom to get whatever he wants. So that's establishing the problem in the villain. And then you need to summarize the burning platform and paint a scary picture of the current trajectory. You need to explain how it's not just a problem in the present, but the future. Why is this unacceptable? If our airline continues to lose customers the way they are, if these airlines, these upstart airlines continue to buy these new planes and continue to use these modern marketing techniques and continue to outwit us, our stock is going to go down. Our revenue is going to go down. We're going to have to start to lay off our employees. We won't have the money to invest in new airplanes. We ultimately will probably be a, an acquisition target and some larger company will gobble us up and we will cease to exist. So now you've taken the current problem and you've shown how if we don't do something about it, and this is so key because even when you think you have a compelling proposition for change, the number one competitor to what you're proposing is usually do nothing or do little. You know, don't do a big transformation. Just make a few incremental improvements and hope for the best. There's a cartoon that, that I, I see circulating around the internet sometimes and someone is standing up in front of a boardroom and there's one of those like charts that you don't really know what it's a chart of, but it's like the, the lines going down, 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 like it's their stock price, their revenue, whatever else. And somebody at the boardroom is saying something like, well, what if we don't do anything and just hope something magical happens? You know, and obviously it's, it's just a cartoon. It's a joke. But there is that natural tendency to say, you know, maybe everything will be okay, even if I don't take this bold step and drive change. But I got to tell you, with the way the world is transforming today, that's not likely to be accurate. So then once you've painted that burning platform, and by the way, this may not be fun, right? You may get some people shifting and uncomfortable in their chairs. This is bad news. You have to be willing to have negative moments, moments of stress and tension to make a story great. When you go to a movie, aren't there moments when you're on the edge of your, of your chair? Aren't there moments when you're like, oh no, don't open that door, you idiot. The, the monster is in there or whatever. Those moments of stress, they're an important part of the story. If you go to a movie and everything's great, and nothing bad happens, and you don't have to worry about anything bad happening to any of the characters because everything's wonderful, that's a super boring movie. That's a movie you're probably going to walk out of. So don't feel bad 
about, you obviously want to be accurate. You don't want to be exaggerating the situation, but it's your job to paint the picture of what happens if we do nothing in a vivid and compelling way to get people to pay attention. You then need to reveal a bold plan. Now, a lot of people will start this way. They'll say, hey guys, we need digital transformation and this is what we're going to do, right? We're going to upgrade our servers. We're going to hire some new people with different skills. We're going to create a different app, blah, blah, blah. But if you start there, that plan might not be that interesting. Someone's like, would you like to hear my plan for flying down the ventilation shaft of a, of a space station? I'm probably gonna be like, I don't know. Why would I want to hear that? But if you start with the other stuff and you explain to me that there's this Death Star that's about to destroy the universe and it's almost completed, but we found this one place, this one ventilation shaft, if you remember the movie Star Wars, where we could potentially maybe fly a, 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 an X-Wing fighter in there. And if we get the perfect shot and hit the reactor in the center of the Death Star, we can blow the whole thing up. It's a tough thing. It's not sure to work, but we think we could make it work. Would you like to hear how we're going to do it? Now, all of a sudden, I'm all ears. Now that plan sounds really important. And now I'm interested in the plan. So whatever plan you have, you're, everything up till now is teeing up to get them to be interested in the plan. I'm not going to go into this in great detail for time here, but in my book, I talk about even this idea of using nested stories. And nested stories are just when you say, you know, I'm telling you the story of how we're going to beat the market, come out with a new app that's going to overcome our competitors and make our customers love us again. And then I say, and by the way, we did a prototype and we tested it with some customers. And let me tell you what happened. There was this one customer named Sally and we showed her the prototype and she went through it. And as she was going through it, her face lit up and she realized dot, 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 right? So now what am I doing? I've stopped talking about the company and what it's going to do. And I'm talking about this woman, Sally, in a user test that I ran. That's a nested story. A nested story is when you break off from the story you're telling and you sort of go off on a little tangent and tell another little story. And then you come back to your main story. And nested stories can be a very powerful way of continuing to reinforce keeping people's attention as well as to continue to support your point. At a certain point in a pitch, you want to let the audience become co-creators. Let me say, well, what if we did this? Well, what if we did that? They're working with you now to potentially edit the story. That is a very positive sign. That means they're paying attention, they're engaged, and giving them the opportunity to be co-creators of the story is a great way to make them feel like they're parents of the initiative. There's an old saying that people resist change, but they support the change that they create, that they initiate. So if your story can get people engaged and excited enough to get them to want to start to participate and actually work on further shaping that story, what about if we tried it this way? What about if we did it that way? That's a great sign that you're succeeding. And then the last step here is have a satisfying emotional ending. Don't let your meeting, your pitch, be one of those meetings where you sort of run out the clock, where everyone's talking and there's conversation, and then you're like, oh, time's up. Okay. You need to end with two key things. The first is a call to action. This is what I need you to do. I need you to approve this budget. I need you to sign off on my you know, vision for upgrading the stack. I need you to fire the CIO because I need a different one that's going to support the transformation. Make sure that you're, you're pitching, you got to be pitching something, right? Something you want them to do. You want to make sure you tell them what that is and then have a satisfying emotional ending. So what is a satisfying emotional ending? Well, it's two things. Number one, it's a decision. Decisions are satisfying. We've decided to do this. So that's why you want to make sure you have a strong call to action. And the other is to let them know what is the consequence of that decision. Paint a picture of the future. Just like at the end of Star Wars, you have that moment where Luke and Leia and Hans, they're all relaxed and happy. They've destroyed the Death Star. 
everything is wonderful and you have this sense that there's optimism and hope for the future, you know, until the next movie, right? When the empire strikes back. But at that moment, you have that sense of closure. You want your story to have that as well. When the group comes to a decision, for example, and says, yes, we're going to approve the budget. You want to say, that's great. And what that's going to mean, folks, is over the next 12 months, you're going to see this happen and this happen and this happen. And we can expect to see our customer revenue increasing. And I'm going to be coming back to you on a monthly basis and letting you know what's going to happen. And you know, you just want to give them that feeling of warm, fuzzy happiness that the story is ending well. Or it could be that they can't come to a decision. You haven't successfully gotten your call to action accomplished, in which case you want to have a different kind of emotional ending, one that may be less satisfying, but one that reiterates a little bit of that burning platform and says, okay, we've made progress, but folks, we still have not come to a decision. We still have not resolved the issue. And so here's what's going to happen next. We're going to meet again next week or whatever it is. And if we are unable to come to a decision, we run the risk of XYZ happening. So I want to see all of you here. I'll see you next week at this time, three o'clock, you know, same time, same station. That's what we call in the, uh, in the movie or the TV biz, a cliffhanger, right? If you can come to that truly satisfying emotional ending, fantastic. That means you got your call to action. You got your outcome. And if you can't, you need to create a cliffhanger. So people are going to come back next time so that they see that an important, risky thing, something with high stakes is unresolved. The Lone Ranger has been driven to the edge of a cliff and there's enemies all around him ready to shoot him and he's to choose between jumping off the cliff and certain death or being shot or taken prisoner. What's he going to do? Tune in next week. So it'd be great if you can come to that satisfying emotional ending, but if you can't, you want to end on a cliffhanger so that people have a strong call to action to at least continue the dialogue and continue the process. So hopefully that's helpful to you. There's a lot more in my book, Winning Digital Customers, about how to use storytelling and other facets of how to pitch digital transformation. Can't go into everything on one podcast, I'm sad to say. So hopefully this has been helpful to you. I got to tell you, though, of everything I talk about, storytelling is the most powerful. And What I hope I've given you today is an understanding when people talk about storytelling in a business meeting, it can seem abstract. You know, how does my discussion about our plan for upgrading our servers have anything to do with a story like Star Wars? Hopefully. This approach that I've just described here, establishing the world of the story, introducing the problem and the villain, summarizing the burning platform and painting a scary picture of the current trajectory, revealing a bold plan, using nested stories to show why the plan is sound, letting the audience become co-creators, and then have either a satisfying emotional ending or a cliffhanger, including a call to action, will be a format that you can use to take storytelling techniques and make them part of your pitch for digital transformation. So. As always, I thank you for watching and for listening. I hope this has been valuable to you. Feel free to pick up my book if you want more details on this. You can also get the first chapter for free if you go to winningdigitalcustomers.com. You can download the first chapter for free. And until next time, keep transforming. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Winning Digital Customers, the podcast. Find more great episodes at wdcpodcast.captivate.fm on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you listen. And visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to learn more about the Wall Street Journal bestselling book that inspired the podcast.